0: hey everybody welcome to season two of the Mixmasters masters podcast i'm your host steve litcher and for those not familiar i'm the touring front of house engineer for stitched up heart working with stitched up heart has led me to meet an incredible number of really talented people and i wanted to introduce you to them i wanted to let you hear their stories and learn from their experiences this is really your chance to listen in on behind the scenes talk and to learn from some of the best in the business i have to give a huge shout out to my pal merritt goodwin for this killer intro music. Merritt is the lead guitarist for Stitched Up Heart, and he's also an extremely talented composer. Give him a follow on Facebook at Merritt Goodwin, or on Instagram at Merritt Goodwin Official. Now let's bring up the faders and jump into this episode of Mixmasters Podcast. My guest for this episode of Mix Masters is none other than Patty Kraus and what an episode this is. Patty joined me from Hamburg, Germany a couple of months ago. I'm sorry that it took a while to get this podcast out, but the podcast gods really were not having any part of technology and my role in it while I tried to record this episode. We'll touch on that during the uh, the podcast, but for those not familiar with Patty, really you you'll want to listen to this podcast. It's pretty crazy. Paddy talks about, you know, starting out in the early days and what got him interested in sound, and it turns out it was Pantera and uh, 80s metal, which is pretty cool. Then he takes us through his career where he started working at an opera house and then apprenticing for a production shop and eventually getting to tour with groups like In Flames, Trivium, Alter Bridge, Toto, Korn, and countless others. We go a little bit technical. We talk about his rig and microphones and consoles and things like that. We also talk about some of the psychology and the impact of being prepared and how that can really relate directly to your success. We talked on his Mother Grid Mother Class, which is insane. If you haven't checked that out, go watch that. And then last but not least, we talk a little bit about COVID status and behaviors. And just a heads up, like I mentioned, we did record this a couple of months ago. So some of our predictions uh, are fun to listen to a few months later. They may not be the most accurate, but hopefully you'll get a kick out of them. So without any further ado, let's jump in and learn more about Patty Krause hey everybody welcome to mix masters i am joined today by patrick Krause, and patrick joins me from hamburg germany patrick it is a pleasure to see you and to finally have you on the podcast thank you for joining thanks for having me what's up people are going to probably shake their heads in disbelief when they hear about all of the challenges we had uh getting this podcast together (laughs) True. (laughs) we'll go over that in a minute but Uh, Before we dive into details and whatnot, I'd like to learn a little bit about you and some of your personal history. So um, Mm -hmm. you're a relatively young guy, but uh, when did you get started in music? Did you pick up an instrument? Did you gravitate immediately towards engineering or what got you started in music? I
1: started as a guitar player when I was 10 years old, maybe 11 years old. Um, I grew up in a household with my mom and and stepdad. you know, listening to Whitesnake and Bon Jovi and all the 80s metal or glam rock kind of bands. And I really liked it. And the more I understood the music, um, the more I dug into it. I wanted to know those bands and I wanted to know who the singer was and the guitar player and who plays drums and blah, 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 blah. And the older I got, the more I was interested in uh, more heavy music, or more, aggressive music I would say so bands like Motorhead and Metallica and and Pantera that was my jam that's when I really dug into music and it's like oh for some strange reason and I know it sounds kind of cringy and creepy but it somehow spoke to me so that was not just the music I was listening to I had the feeling that that's the stuff that you know um, speaks to me and it does something to me not necessarily because it was aggressive or angry but just the vibe and how those instruments sounded, like the heavy drums and the super key toms and all that, and, and the super distorted guitars like Dimeback and all that. So, I never, like back then, I could never figure out why my guitar doesn't sound like that. But I wanted to, and that's, you know, uh, I was just checking websites and, and YouTube videos and tutorials and all that, and I bought um, pedals and different amps I mean back then I had like a cheap guitar and a cheap guitar amp and all that and that was somehow I would say my start um, being interested in how to achieve those tones and why does James Hetfield's guitar almost sounds percussive and not just not just the noise and not just super heavy distorted but you know I mean Lars is probably not the best drummer on earth but those two guys together that was just like man I want to sound like this and how do I achieve that? And then a couple of years later, um, me and my my friends from, from school or high school, we started a band and uh, we tried to to copy those tones and uh, we didn't know how to. But we tried and, and the more we tried, the more interest I gained for this whole thing. So in, in Germany in school, and I think you guys have the same in the US, we have this thing... Uh, I think the translation would be like career day or career weeks. So the school basically sends you to whatever the business or company, um, because they want you to figure out what you want to do with your life after school. And uh, my uncle, uh, who also played in the band back then, he's like 20 years older than I am or 25 years. So he's kind of young, you know, but uh, he was also into heavy music and he worked at the Hamburg opera house. And he, Basically, gave me the contacts, and he talked to his boss, and he was like, "Hey, man, I have my nephew, and he's really into metal music, and he wants to start a career in music." I know that the Hamburg Opera House might not be the best uh, way to do that, but um, it's a start. And that was pretty cool because I never touched bass, or I never got into classical music or opera, and I still don't like it. But it was so interesting for me to see how that whole thing works, and all those singers. Um, because to me, like metal music, that was just screaming, yelling, uh, being loud, right, and hitting notes and maybe a perfect pitch or something. But those opera singers, they were using their voice as an instrument, and that blew my mind because I've never experienced something like that before, especially not live. <clears throat> and um so I got to know all the audio engineers and lighting guys and and all that, and that's when I was like introduced for the first time to those like people behind the scenes. And I think I was like 14, maybe 15 years old, maybe 16, I can't really remember. Um, It's probably ninth or 10th grade or something. Um, That, I immediately knew that's what I want to do. I want to be one of those guys. I didn't really know like audio or lighting or, you know, staging or pyrotechnics. I just wanted to be one of those dudes. So there was two guys um one guy's called Hagen I still like every now and then we still talk on on Facebook which is pretty cool because I've known this guy for like almost 20 years now and um he was like dude I have a couple of friends that are freelancers so they're working for different rental companies and for a couple bands maybe we need to hang out grab a beer and I'll introduce you to Blah, blah 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 long story short um through those contacts I finally got uh well, contact to a rental company called Profi Music, uh, PM Blue nowadays. And um, that's where I did my apprenticeship for two, two and a half years in a rental company. You know, I was at the shop uh, repairing stuff. I was taught how to use all the gear and like the signal flow, blah, blah, blah. And um, got to know even more people. So and then after a while, um, like after two and a half years, I did my uh, diploma or whatever you want to call it was uh, immediately uh, introduced in the freelance world kind of so I was never hired by a company or anything um, always a freelancer and um, I was touring for one or two years with various bands and different styles and just you know trying to make money and uh, to learn even more uh, I started to work for different uh, like venues uh, live clubs in Hamburg like the 500 capacity and later like the One and a half thousand, two thousand capacity venues we have. And um, then I got the first, like, for me, the probably most important phone call um, by a friend of mine who did uh, monitors for In Flames, a Swedish metal band. Actually a band that I grew up with because, you know, when I listened to all the American heavy metal bands, I was like, wait a minute, there's got to be European metal as well, not just like Scorpions and Rammstein and Halloween. You know, then the, the more modern metal was like dark tranquility and in flames and and all that. So years later I got this phone call from Niels, who like ten years before me, he was also an apprentice in the same rental company. That's basically how we met. And he was like, dude, my wife's pregnant. Um I don't think I can tour anymore. Do you want to take over? And I was like, holy fuck. Because back then, and still, you know, I'm actually getting goosebumps right now because that was like the like a key moment in my career. I was like, dude, there's no way that I'm not doing this. So I'm I'm up for it. Sign me up, tell me where to fly to or when or whatever, you know. That was pretty cool because um I've never been in that situation before. I toured with bands and I had my own desk with me and all that, but that was just next level, if not even two levels more than what I was used to. You know, we were headlining arenas and from playing in, let's say, 800 capacity venues uh, in Europe. That was just like, oh shit, we are playing arenas worldwide. And we are headlining like fucking festival and grass pop. And not the super major festivals like Rock am Ring. But still, that was like, whoa, this is a different league, man. That was pretty cool. And that's, you know, I mean, it's a long story now, but that's basically how it started.
0: That's a great story and I love I love hearing about that transition because I was in a similar scenario. I ran a local production company that I owned and then all of a sudden one day I got tapped by a band to go on tour with them and and the rest is history. Now I'm here talking to guys like you so it's super cool. Were you mixing front of house at that time for In Flames or were you doing monitors?
1: For I mean people tell me it is strange for me it's not really but for some reason I prefer mixing monitors. Because to me at least, I think it's more challenging um because I think you know I'm, I can mix for my own ears and I can mix the, the the sound that I like, but I think it's more challenging um to mix the sound that the band likes, they need to be satisfied, and you know they have it they have their own vision of what it should sound like, and achieving that is a different. Type of challenge, you know. I mean, front of house can be super complex and super, you know, has to be precision poor, uh, pure, but monos is just, just a different thing. And I prefer that. And I also like the interaction with the band and I, the you know, reading the, the or uh, watching the body language and you're know, figuring out, like, oh, this guy is not really talking to me, but he's in a shit mood. I can tell just by his body language. So something is wrong. Sometimes it's not audio related at all, but just by interacting with him and giving him the feelings like, dude, you know, you're delivering. It's a great show. Just relax. Sometimes this works. And sometimes they're like, hey, man, this guy understands what I'm, you know, feeling or going through or whatever. And th- 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 I just prefer that. I'm not saying it's easier. I'm not saying it's more complex. I'm not saying it's, you know, it's just a different thing that
0: I prefer. Yeah, Charlie. Um- one of our mutual friends had sort of relayed a similar experience. And one of the things that he does as a monitor engineer is he's part psychologist. Yeah. You know, he has to really understand what's going on with the band. Are they really focused on the rehearsal or the show that day or are different things bothering them that have zero relevance to the show, but he's got to try to deal with all that. So it's interesting that you mentioned something similar.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. We were, I have a funny little side story with Charlie. So we met a couple of years ago. I was uh, mixing monitors for Trivium. And he came in because Joey, well, for me, the original sound guy, I mean, they probably had many guys before Joey, but that was the first dude that I met. And he actually hired me to do monitors. Um, Well, let's go way back. So I got the Trivium gig through in flames because we were uh, touring Japan and Australia And at that time, Trivium didn't have a monitor guy. And Joey, their front of house guy and and also tour manager, he reached out. He's like, hey, does your monitor guy want to mix Trivium as well? So we can save a little money, like flights and hotels and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, fuck yeah. You know, because that was the second big band that I was, you know, able to work for. And um, that's how I met those guys. And I, you know, I stuck around Um, whenever I had the time to tour with them. I was with them. It was kind of like, I mean, sound stupid, but it was like the, the side band that I had or whatever. And then uh, Charlie uh, came in after two or three years. And um we were on a tour together when he had to leave. I think he was with, God, uh, Rise Against, I think. Or maybe Deftones. I can't remember. So he had to leave for one, one week or 10 days or something. And uh we had... Bit of a hard time with the fill in front of house guy. So he was doing front of house. I was mixing monitors still. And um the band decided. I don't know, Matt, the singer, he came to me like I wasn't catering, just having lunch or something. He's like, dude, I don't know how to explain it to you. And I know this will fuck up the whole situation, blah blah blah, but I want you to mix front of house. Uh, All right. So I took my monitor file because I have nothing prepared. You know, I did monitors for them for years. So I, I don't have a front of house file. And obviously the band was not really happy, even though we still had Charlie's file. Long story short, um, I took my monitor to file at the front of house. Charlie came back and then we were like, oh, uh, by the way, they want to keep me at front of house and you're doing monitors now. And I thought that, you know, he's going to be super pissed at me now because he leaves for like 10 days and he comes back and the band tells him, oh, by the way, Patty is doing front of house now and you're doing monitors. Most people feel like this is the not so important gig right and he was like dude i love it i prefer mixing monitors and it's like what you're literally the, like me and you it's the two people that i know now that prefer mixing monitors that's weird but i love it and i mean i enjoyed mixing in front of house for them and everything but i was like okay we don't all, only have this like uh personality connection because we get along just fine he's a great dude i love him i miss him But also like work-related. We have the same thoughts and the same visions. And it was just like, okay, cool. And that made our job even easier.
0: I'll have to introduce you to Mike Bangs from Allen & Heath because he is a monitor engineer. And he is like you and Charlie where he absolutely prefers mixing monitors. He doesn't want to do anything front of house. So you guys can have a club and it'll be exclusive and that'll be it. That's good, yeah. (laughs) Perfect. Um, Okay, so... Your resume, you've mentioned a couple of the bands that you've worked with, In Flames and Trivium, but you've also done some work with Korn and Alter Bridge and Toto. And I know that you are an avid S6L guy. Um, what drew you to the avid S6L? When did you first get experience with it? And how did you know that that was going to be the console that you gravitated towards or had a connection with? That was uh,
1: the Inflames gig. Because when I took over, that was like in the middle of a touring cycle. And I had no desire to change anything. I was just like, I, I deal with whatever you guys have because that's what the band is used to. And, you know, that's like eight or nine years ago now. And I'm, I mean, I'm 32 years old now. Back then with 22, 23, whatever I was, I did not have the, I didn't have the balls to change anything. And there was no need to change anything. They were happy. So the only reason why Niels left was because his wife was pregnant and he couldn't tour anymore. So why would I change anything? But I was not really familiar with the Avid platform back then because in, my, in, in the rental company that I worked for, we had SoundCraft, we had Yamaha, we had uh, Studer, uh, you know, and I think we had iLives and something like that. But um, I was watching tutorials and I, I reached out to the Avid guys, um, just, you know, reading the manual and uh, just, uh, I, think, I think I actually drove to Berlin. To their showroom and just, you know, play around with that concept because I was like nervous. And the first tour I did with them was in the US. So that was my first time touring the US with the band that I've never mixed before. And they had a Mardi guy for eight years and they were happy. So I felt like, don't fuck, don't fuck it up. Right. And I, I actually liked it. I mean, I had a show fire that was working. So I didn't have to start from scratch. That helped a lot. And it was basically uh, if you don't touch anything, you'll be fine. 'Cause it's the same backline and the same microphones. They have whole systems, so everything is theirs. So the consoles are rental, but you know, everything else is just the, the whole infrastructure is there. Don't touch anything, you'll be fine. And if they need more vocals, well, you know, turn it up, but don't change anything, basically. And on that tour I was like, Wow, well, even though I do not know this console and it looks kind of complex and weird compared to Soundcraft, you know, the VI series, I felt like it was actually super easy. It was super easy to understand, and especially with this external screen where you have control with the mouse and everything. It's like, wow, this is even easier to me. And I like the sound. I mean, the band, they know how to play it. They have great tones and they are great musicians and the songs are so powerful and all the little like, gaps that they have um, from the live instrument, they fill it with, like it's not playback, but there's some tracks running from Proto system. So the whole, like the whole term is just, you know, it's full and there's so much in, it's like, well, this console is great. It wasn't, it, you know, now using the S6L and, you know, the digital consoles, whatever, the profile does not sound great. It was the band, but to me back then it was like, oh yeah, this is my go-to console. And actually it still is. So whenever I have to go with a cheaper console, um, or whenever we have the situation that I cannot get an SXL, We did a couple of one-off shows in uh, Jakarta, in Singapore. It was just not possible. You know, or South America and Brazil. I think there's, if I remember it correctly, there's like four or 5 SXLs ls in Brazil. And they were like, sorry, dude, you know, you cannot have this console in whatever town we are playing. It's like, all right, just, you know, give me a profile. And it's fine. And since then, I see it like, it's, that is just my go-to tool. Like a guitarist the place a Les Paul, would always play a Les Paul. Even though a Stratocaster sounds fine, or whatever guitar, that's just what you're used to. You know, how to play the guitar instrument without any issues or whatever. It's the same for me, the muscle memory, and I'm so quick enough on that, on that console. And I think being quick and fast on a console as a monitor guy, that's probably more important than the actual sound. And I've noticed that. Um, You mentioned Toto, one of my gigs, and um, I got this gig basically overnight on a Thursday night. I got a phone call um, from the owner of the rental company, and he was like, "Um, dude, I know that you're home on vacation. I was like, yeah, what's up? And He's like, oh, you're not on vacation anymore. I need you to fly to Oslo, Norway tomorrow. Why is that? Well, Toto, I don't even know why, and it's not none of my business, but they um, the monitor guy they had was let go by the band and by management, and um, they were reaching out, uh, reaching out to Go Audio, which is the rental company, asking the owners like, "Well, we're an American band. We're in the middle of Europe. We don't know any European guys. We need your help." And Ben, the guy who runs the company, he knew that I'm not with Flames or Alderbridge on tour right now. And he was like, oh, I got the guy. I can't promise that he will be there uh, for the rest of the tour, but I know that I can get him for a week or two. So, you know, don't worry about the, the upcoming shows. So I flew in the day after. They had a day off. and I think I arrived at 9 p.m. or something. And um, luckily they had an SXL. I mean, I can make any console work. I'm familiar with all the consoles out there, like all the major, you know, um, like Digico's and Ellen Heath. I can, they all sound great. They all do a fantastic job, but the SXL is the one I'm most familiar with and, you know, muscle memory, blah, blah, blah. And the front of house guy, and he was nice enough to give me his hard drive with a recording because he was also on an SXL. He's like, don't worry. I know that you have to start from scratch because I think it's, I never feel comfy with a monitor file from a dude that i do not know and it's not because i don't like that guy i don't even know him or any dude that i've ever replaced or whatever it's just like i don't know the file and it's not front of house it's monitors so if i do something stupid the band will probably freak out right and i cannot risk that so i had to start from scratch i was talking to the production manager and the front of house guy and ken the front of house guy was like dude you know what we just dumped the audio truck first tomorrow morning. Just set up your console in whatever corner of the arena with the recording and just dial in rough mixes. Just, I mean, the band knows. They know it's going to be a little punk rock in the ears for the first show. So I did that. Um, The band does this like uh, meet and greet VIP, special sound check, whatever you want to call it. And uh, we had like minor changes and Steve Lukather, he that was on the second day so we did the first show it was a little bit punk rock and i think the second show was copenhagen or something same thing band comes on stage Uh, i was sitting down with my like virtual playback fixing some stuff from the first show and then he turned around he gave me a big hug and it's like dude you're the baddest motherfucker i was like oh my god hearing this you know it is great whoever guy you know, or whatever you tells us, it's like, dude, you're awesome. It's great. That's a great feeling. But hearing this from Steve Lukather, it's like, wow, that is cool. And like, honestly, I think half of it was just because I was so comfy in my situation because I knew uh, the console. I know all the crew guys that were there. I just didn't know the signals. But since it's Toto and everything is just almost perfect, pff, that was an easy gig, dude. And, uh, like, with all those uh, experiences like this, I don't want to change my console. I don't want to change anything that I use because of this. I don't want to risk it. Why would I? You know, like uh, in the introduction, you were mentioning that we had a lot of technical uh, difficulties, so to say. Um, it's the same thing, right? Upgrading a MacBook and then using Pro Tools or Logic, Dante, Waves, it's just, so much headache right just because of one stupid update and i don't want to run into a situation where i have like massive trouble just because something doesn't work and then you know maybe the production manager is like okay what has changed uh the console why uh because i felt like it's a it's an upgrade well you fucked up i don't want to have that situation I'm
0: going to diverge or divert here for just a second, talk about some of those challenges. So just to sort of peel the curtain back for anybody listening, not that you may necessarily care, but we had this podcast on the calendar probably about a month ago, and then I had a bunch of stuff going on with my home studio. I remodeled the whole home studio and that ran behind, so I didn't have a chance to get together with Patty. Then we were supposed to get together a couple of weeks ago and a friend of mine had to have a liver transplant sort of at the last minute. So I had a chance to go visit him. So I went and did that. Patty totally understood. And then we were going to get together uh, a couple of days ago and overnight my MacBook Pro, which is running Catalina, I hate Catalina for the record, (laughs) it had been working fine on Friday and Saturday. I went to start it on Sunday to chat with Patty. And for some reason, uh, Dante, which I use to transport the audio from Skype into Logic and do all sorts of fancy routing stuff so that we don't get echoes with each other. Anyways, uh, Catalina decided to corrupt all of its network drivers and refuse access to anything Dante related. And eight, ten hours later, I finally figured out the problem. Well, I didn't figure out the problem. I fixed it. By deleting all of the preferences, the P lists, the COM files, removing all the network adapters, reconfiguring everything. And now it's working. I'm knocking on wood. But uh yeah, you're you're a trooper, Patty. So thank you for your patience with that. And then I think also it your point about not changing things just because it's quote unquote an upgrade is valid. Along those lines, do you have any sort of contingency plans or backup plans or redundant systems in place when you're on tour with like Toto or in flames or somebody like that uh
1: yes and no i mean i always have a backup plan let's say for uh my wave server of course there's uh, a second one but just in case that waves decides it's you know like every once in a while like your macbook like overnight it stops working and you cannot figure out why this happened to me as well and I had a backup server and everything was fine, like all the connections, all the cables, and everything was fine, all the settings, but I could not make it work. And that put me in such a shitty situation that I was like, I need a backup plan for this. And my backup plan is basically just a, a, a macro or event, it's called in, in avid world, that disables everything uh ways, you know, and switches basically let's say on my snare drum, I usually have an API comp. Once I hit that event it disables the API comp and just goes back to the uh, uh, internal, just in case something like this happens. Or between Tom and I, uh, Thomas, is in flames, the front of house guy, we always uh, talked about like, what if your front of house console goes down? And I have a guest mix that is basically like a front of house mix without the vocals. So just in case I can send a left, right band and the vocals, and the vocal effects to whatever front-of-house console. Just in case, you know, let's say you're on a festival. This actually happened, I think it was Megadeth, of years back on uh, the fucking Festival. The intro was running, and there was a loud, like, boom, and nothing. Because the front-of-house console crashed. I can't remember what concert it was, and it doesn't really matter. And I think what they did was the mod guy sent a left-right band mix vocals And the vocal effects to the front of house i think back then they had old midas h 3000 or something and it sounded fine i mean obviously that was not proper front of house mix but they had a show and i think that's what matters like whatever happens just make sure you have a show and even if it's punk rock in the in-ears just have a plan and um I mean, obviously, like at least with the bands that I tour with, we don't have the budget and we don't have the truck space to carry around like two monitor consoles and everything, you know, uh, doubled up and blah, blah, blah. We can't do this, but we can have those programmed. We can have, um, I don't know, like wireless microphones, have a hardwire microphone ready. It's that simple, right? And I think with that mentality or this, like that, that's called a workflow There's not much that can go wrong anymore, I think, unless like, you know, the power goes down or whatever, this happens.
0: You can plan for so much and then there is sort of a return on investment on some of the redundant systems that you have. In a former life, I worked for a bank and I did uh, risk analysis and uh, continuity planning. And my boss made fun of me because I was trying to be so thorough with redundant systems that he said, you're planning for an earthquake on a volcano with a tornado in blizzard country, and it's just not going to happen. And that really brought it to light. Like, yeah, we, there's a point where you reach diminishing returns on the effort and the cost. But I really like the idea of having that guest mix where you're able to send a left, right to the front of house processing or whatever, or the house console, and then still have the show. That's super. That's a really good idea. And I, I hopefully somebody listening might take that on as a, uh, an option for something they're doing.
1: Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, it's a little more complex doing it the other way around. So having monitor mixes ready from front of house it would probably work with Inflames because they have, like, they have studio mixes in the years. That's what they want. That, that, that's the demand. Um, kind of the same with Toto. Uh, I mean, Toto, to me at least, Toto is more like a studio band, uh, uh, a traditional rock band you know, because they have all the session uh, work uh, and and their careers, so to speak, like the studio work. They have superb sounding mixes and they know exactly how to achieve all those tones and how to get their sounds. But the the volumes are so different that Ken, my front of house guy, he could not just send a mix to stage. um, And that's it, you know. Within Flames, that would probably be possible because they're so used, especially Bjorn, uh, the, the lead guitarist and one of the two bosses in the band, he wants everything like on record. Not even his guitar is like on top of the mix. It's like sitting in the mix. So he could probably just work fine with the front of house song. Singer, yeah, that might be a little different. But, you know, in in such a situation when my console just breaks or, you know, maybe just like a stupid, uh, somebody throwing a beer at my console, you know, um, I think we can make that work. And especially with all, all, all the newer consoles, Digigo, l I think every manufacturer has a system now that is capable of having like multiple mixes and blah, 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 blah inputs and blah, 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 blah outputs. We could possibly do something like this, having backup mixes ready in front of house and it's just a matter of patching and getting it into those uh, wireless transmitters or whatever. I mean, obviously, there's a maximum, like you said, like budget or, you know, don't overdo it. Like, don't be scared and, and, you know, but the easy easy things, like the event that I was talking about, it's just one button and boom, everything is internal just in case Waves doesn't work for whatever reason. And to be honest, you don't always have the time to deal with it because if it goes down, it's always during a show you know, where you need the the backup solution. It's not during sound check. You don't need a backup solution for sound check. You don't need a backup solution at 8 a.m. on Monday morning. You need that like five minutes before the show or if shit hits the fan during a show and it's just one button away. The band will notice and they're like, oh, it sounds completely different. But then you can, you know, hand sign or whatever you do um, to them. It's like, oh, waves is done or, you know, God knows the, the wireless microphone is, I don't know, exploded. (laughs) <laughs> whatever he's the hardwired it's that simple and th- that's also how you gain trust with the band being prepared and talking about this, all the bands i work for they know that they have those things and i tell them like just in case something happens with waves this is what's going to happen it will sound different you can continue the show don't worry i got this and um every now and then we try this in they just get an idea of what the difference would be, and the, you know, coming back to the point when I was like um, talking about preferring mixing monitors, this is why I like this interaction with the band. I want to tell them it's like, hey, this is the best case scenario, and this is basically the worst, unless the power goes down or you know we have a terror attack or oh, whatever. And I, I really, really like this.
0: I love the idea of rehearsing. The sort of worst case scenario, also with the band, so that they have an idea, so they're not surprised. Exactly. You know, as long as you prepare, just about anything can happen because they've experienced it in a non-pressure situation. Really smart. So now that you've got some time with Toto and In Flames, do you have have you made any changes to like microphones or do wireless systems for ears or made any suggestions? Can you take me through a quick little rig rundown, if you will, for either band? Just pick one and talk about, like, what microphones you're using, what wireless in-ear systems, and all of that fun, nitty-gritty technical stuff?
1: Absolutely. So I think in Flames of the band, where I have the most um, the, the saying, is, is that how you say that? Like the most saying or vote or input. whatever? Because, yeah, the most input or uh, power of decisions or whatever. Because between Tom and I, is front of house and tour manager and I, but we are the two audio guys. We decide what we are using. It's, uh, you know, and um, as I said, I started with a profile and they had a PSM 900 wireless systems for in-ears and they had um, the, what was it called? The, the old uh, UR4D systems or something like that. And nowadays we use the S6L. Because we were on a tour, I was maxing out the profile. Like... Uh, the output buses. I think I was running 23 output buses for in-ears, is side fields, um, and effect sense. And then we had a tour with uh, strings. I think, was it one double bass and a cello and viola or something like this, and they needed in-ears. And I only had one mono bus left. I was like, um, I don't even know how to do this. And the first idea, I know it sounds stupid, but I was like, well... Just give me two profiles because I have this guest mix that is like the backup front of house kind of stuff, or once we have a guest on stage, so I can just send that mix into the second profile and have a sub mix of the strings, the string section, sending back into my uh, main console, so to speak. But then, you know, I thought about it again. And I was like, it hmm, sounds a little dodgy and weird. Why would I do this? Because like the thought I had, is like I don't I don't want to change platforms just because of that one tour. Because the plan was going back to a profile after this tour, and I was like, uh, why would I spend all the time headache into a different platform if I go back to a profile anyways? Um, so that's how I came up with this thought. Okay, give me a second profile, no problem. I can make it work. And then I was like, huh. I mean, Avid has this S6L now, and I think it was the second year after they released the console it's like you know from what I've heard it's running stable and smooth everyone likes it to me that would be an upgrade that it's actually worth the money like spending more money on on rental budget or whatever and then Tom was like well I want to do the same then should we just go with the new system then it's like yeah let's give it a try because I got to do something anyways because I, I cannot make this work with just one profile. And we did. And we were blown away by the sound. I mean, the, the profile is not really hi-fi sounding. And, you know, it's not like super. The, the mix buses or especially the, the master mix bus is not really that big and, and everything. So just the output stage between those two platforms were night and day. And uh, I dialed in all my mixes because I started from scratch. You know, I took the chance. I was like, oh, right. You know, if I go with a new platform anyways, and we have like 10 days of rehearsal, I want to start from scratch and not just copy or uh, import my profile show file into the, why would I do that? So I had a profile recording um, that I used for virtual soundcheck. And obviously I had all the preamps from the profile and I have not heard the SXL ad amps before the actual, like, the first day of rehearsals, and I was blown away. It's like, wow, this is, I need so much less EQ than I was used to with the the profile head ems and the EQing and, and everything, basically. I was like, dude, there's no way to go back to the profile. And um, so that was the major upgrade. Then we upgraded to PSM-1000 in your systems. Uh, we have Axion now for uh, guitars and the vocals, and um, we kind of did the same with Toto um, when I started with them. Um, I was in this, like, you know, the new guy situation overnight. The the guy, the guy who did monitors before me, he was fired. So the band was kind of like, eh. Uh, change was not a good word for them because they were afraid, obviously. I mean, mid-tour, like, I think after four or five shows, they fired the monitor guy and they had no clue who I was. And the only guy that banned from go audio he was the one who's like trust me i know this guy and i know he can make it work and he you know his personality and everything would just fit fine don't worry but that was everything or the, the only thing they knew about me they did not know in flames because those guys you know they're 60 whatever years old and they're not into swedish heavy metal so they were like uh in flames great they're playing huge shows but we have no fucking clue who those guys are So they couldn't really figure out. It's like, okay, does this guy know what he's actually doing? So I gained trust on the first tour. I didn't change anything. I just used whatever they, like all the microphones. We didn't even change one patch or anything. It's just like, all right, here's a new file. Uh, New sound, obviously, in the ears, but that's it. I'm not going to change any microphone positions even. Um, On the second tour I did with them, I wanted to get rid of the Sennheiser in-ear systems. I mean, they sound great, And I think between Sennheiser and Shure, there's not really that much of a difference in audio quality and and they're both stable and they both have great software that you can use. I just prefer the Shure systems. Like it's the same thing with the console. I'm just so comfy with all that stuff and I know it inside out. It's just one more puzzle piece that makes my daily job easier, right? We also went with the new... I think they're called like uh, P10R plus or something, and they sound amazing. There's so much more headroom, I feel like, and so much more space in, in the left and right. And they noticed right away it's like, oh, something has changed. And I was a little worried because they're they are super particular and they're super anal about everything. And uh, Steve Lukather and uh, Joe, the singer, they were like, something has changed. Um, no, not really. Well, it's new in ear systems, like, yeah, man, it sounds. Awesome! I was like, "Ooh, okay, that was a great upgrade." I mean, that's what I was after. I wanted to have that little more headroom, little more space for my instruments and all that. And uh, we changed a couple of microphones. All that. It's. I feel like you cannot uh, change things with, with like a big boom. You know, you cannot change uh, mixing console platforms and the engineers and the microphones and blah 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 blah. Unless the band wants to, unless they're like, this is a new record cycle. Let's start from scratch. You know, what can we do to make it sound better? Should we uh, switch guitar heads or maybe a new drum set or vocal mics, everything? The The only band where I would feel comfy with it is in Flames. Because I know those guys inside out, I know the sound inside out, and they fully trust us. So Tom and I could actually talk to uh, Bjorn the guitarist saying, you need a new guitar amp because we want your guitar to sound like whatever. And he would do it because he trusts us and he will probably check out the result. Listen, obviously, but he will just go, all right, if you guys think it sounds fine and if you think it's worth, uh, worth the money, let's go for it. That's pretty
0: cool. Going back to your uh, gear for a second. Are you, how are you getting signal to and from your sure equipment? Are you doing it via XLR or are you doing it via Dante? or some sort of combination thereof?
1: I wish I could do it uh, digitally, just for less uh, latency and everything. But coming back to the backup situation, I use uh, XLR cables, just in case I have to repatch something like super fast during a show. Um, So I sacrifice a little bit of latency and doing it the old school way to be way faster In case something happens, you know, the sad situation when Tom has to send a backup mix to my monitor console or God knows, you know, it's it's just a little like safety net that I want to have. And I sacrifice a little bit of latency for it. I'm fine with that.
0: Yeah, that was a completely selfish question because we use PSM and Axient as well. And I'm still running XLR out of my DLive Mix Rack. And the notion of using Dante is so attractive to me. But. Now with the recent events that happened with my MacBook, I'm not so certain I want to rely on digital transmission. I like the idea of having the analog comfort. I'm using air quotes there. Exactly. That's that's how I feel about it. Are you responsible for the RF coordination uh, as well as part of your duties with either Toto or In Flames?
1: Um, with In Flames and, and Bridge and Corn, uh, yes. Um, well, I don't know how Corn does it nowadays uh, with Brian Posem on it is I don't know if he has a system tech that does it for him Uh, with Toto I don't do it because with Toto I think we have like overall I think it's 88 inputs including ambience mics and and talkbacks I think it's like 60 something actual inputs from the band Um, we have 8 guys on stage so there's a lot of snakes running and and all, all that and we don't really have that much time because they do this VIP sound check and uh, meet and greet, and we can make noise. So I want to I want to focus on mixing with this, um, because they know uh, what it should sound like, and because they're they're all pros. Like especially the the uh, let's call it the principals, like Steve Lukather and Joe Williams, and also Shannon, the drummer. They have. He was producing like Michael McDonald's latest record. So they know exactly what's happening. And I want to focus on everything audio, like sound, just, you know, to make it 150% perfect. So I have a guy uh, called Toby. He's also my system tech with Alter Bridge in in Flames um, whenever he's available. And he does it for me. But I always double check. Because just in case something happens, I really need to know what's going on. I need to know what the RF environment looks like just in case I have to do something during the show. I actually prefer doing it myself. Maybe I'm a little like a control freak, but I feel like if I do not know like 150% what's going on, I haven't done my job right. Because at the end of the day, whatever goes wrong on stage as a monitor guy, you're always the first one to blame. And even if it's just like strobes or something, or God knows... You know the the fans are not uh, in the right position, or there's like one moving like a uh, moving light uh, doing weird stuff. The monitor guy is always the first one to talk to, and I don't want to think about stuff and worry about stuff. I just want to know it before the show, and I'm fine.
0: It's it's funny when you mention the lights. I just had a horrible uh, memory come to light. I, with my small production company in Madison, I was working with this local band and. One night uh we had problems with the two of our moving lights. They weren't they were not misbehaving or patched incorrectly or something. And so we just killed them. And at the end of the night, we were talking to the lead singer and and the lead singer said, Yeah, something just the show didn't sound right, it didn't feel right, the sound was off, blah, blah, blah. And it was because those lights weren't working. They were so used to having those two lights that for whatever reason it triggered as an issue to them audibly, because I was mixing monitors from front of the house and all that fun stuff too. But, yeah, it's uh, it's funny how your brain can draw a relationship between two things that are not even remotely related. So I get it.
1: Absolutely. And that's another part, that, you know, coming back to this, like, uh, psychology thing and, and uh, knowing all the guys on stage and reading the body language and, and all that. And it's true. Like, something completely not related to the sound in the ears or whatever can make them having a bad show and even if it's just a stupid moving light or something i am like i have ocd like on stage all the cables i want like all the cables in 90 degrees and uh, i want to have like all the neon tape um in front of moving lights or whatever is on stage just to make sure nothing goes wrong and i want it the same way every single day or night or show whatever um, I'm, obviously, I'm not the stage manager or production manager, and, and stuff changes. And sometimes, you know, you cannot have the full set, or the stage is not wide enough, or not high enough, or, you know, whatever. So there might be changes, but if we don't have those changes, I hate if something is different. My system tech, Toby, he, I mean, it's like a love uh, thing between us. He hates my OCD because for him, it's more trouble and more stuff to do. But at the same time, he loves it because. Stuff does not go wrong if you do it the same every single night. It stresses me out, like myself, every now and then. But I think that's part of, uh, I I don't want to say it's part of the success because I don't see myself as a super successful mixer or anything. It sounds stupid and ego-ish. But let's just call it like success. You know, I think that's part of it. The same things every single night. Even though it's like super obvious that there's a moving light, put tape on. Even though it's super obvious that there's like cables crossing like a, a walking path, put a rubber mat on top of it or yellow jackets, tape it at least, you know. It doesn't matter like how obvious it is. Or let the band know at least and talk to them. It's like, hey, you know, something's a little bit different tonight or blah, 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 blah. And I think all those things combined make the result.
0: Yeah, there's that old saying the devil is in the details, and if you cover the details, you're going to have that success or that better experience, and that is going to naturally lead to more success, and that's why the the owner of that rental company knew he could call you for Toto and that you would, you know, come in and do a great job because you have that history. So, I don't think there's any ego to it. I think it's just plain straight up facts, you know, no arguing it. So, so we got a, uh, we've got about ten minutes left here. I tried to keep these at right about an hour, and time has been flying by. But uh, would you mind talking a little bit about the Mother Grid Masterclass that you did? That was a uh, really fascinating, uh, truly a masterclass. How did that come to be, and and how how was that experience?
1: I have a pretty good relationship to the guy that runs uh, the channel World, like this online magazine, um, Mother Grid, and he. Um, I think there was one or two guys before me that did a mother class. I think one guy, Carson, who talked about like uh, orchestra stuff and how you mic them and mix them and and all that. So this guy, Marcus, um, we've done plenty interviews together and he came to Inflame shows and uh, uh, Toto. And um, he was just approaching me and asking us like, hey, do you want to do this? And to me, it sounded a little like, not not weird, but I felt like... Masterclass, me? Because Masterclass for me is always like the super top-notch guys. Like, you know, in Studio Worlds or like mixed with the Masters, it's like Chris Lord LG or those guys. And I felt like, well, I don't know. You know, I'm just a live mixer for rock and roll bands and I do monitors. So that sounded a little weird. But then he was like, I know, but if we do this with Toto, that's a band that everyone likes. And it's a like superb sounding band. B, everyone talks about front of house all the time. And everybody talks about how great the sound is, blah, blah, blah. But no one really talks about monitor guys. And obviously, like with front of house, you just have a left and right mix. But as a monitor guy, you have so many different mixes. And not just like left and right uh, in-ear mixes, but also side fills. Do you always send the same signals into the side fills? Or do you split them or... Is it just half of the inputs? Do you send uh, hi-hat and overheads and just stuff like that? And he was like, I want to do a video about this. Not necessarily like, uh, oh, this console is so great or you guys should use waves or, you know, but that's basically what everybody talks about. And I personally, I hate it. I don't want to read like interviews um, about whatever production talking about. Oh yeah, man, we have 54 trucks and we have like, you know, 200 bazillion speakers and it's all k1 or gsl whatever you know to me that is not interesting i want to know who's mixing the band with what gear and why why do you use a pm10 or toby francis like you have one of the best sounding acts ariana or whatever you know a superb band great singer and you have one of the latest and probably most fantastic mixing consoles why do you still carry Neve outboard gear. I want to talk about those things. I want to read about those things. And uh, Marcus, he was like, "Yeah, let's do something like this. Do a video where you explain why you cube Let's say a kick drum like this, or how do you start with a band like this? What are the differences between the mixes? Why do they need different mixes?" The challenge for me was a little bit like, "Okay, but what's what's the audience like? Who am I ta- talking to? Am I talking to?" professionals or am I talking to uh, amateurs or beginners or you know um, so that that was the actual challenge for for me trying to explain things that are interesting enough for the professionals but easy enough to understand for people that have no clue basically and um, I have to admit that when I we did this video in Berlin at the uh, Avid showroom and when I was driving home it's only like two or three hours, I was like super unhappy because I felt like I forgot to talk about everything important and I was just talking about stupid stuff because I, I, you know, I didn't have a, like a concept really because I'm not good with concepts because once I have a concept and I have something written down or put down some notes, I'm so focused on uh, talking about those things so I prefer just, you know, not having any notes and just do something. And I kind of expected him to give me like a guideline or something or a little script. It's like, this is what I want to do. You know, talk about this, talk about that. But none of that happened. And I was just sitting there. was like, oh, all righty. Um, I've never done this before. I I'm doing this in English, which is not my mother language. And it's weird, you know. I think I'm okay with English obviously you have this like weird German accent and everything, but thinking about um, those things and trying to explain stuff to an audience that that you don't even see, right? There's no reactions. There's no questions. There's like no interaction, basically. It's just like two or three cameras, uh, the red record button, and boom, go. That felt weird, but it was great. And I think like all the reactions and comments on uh, YouTube, they're great. A couple of people that I do not know and I've never met in my life, they approached me on Instagram or whatever. It's like, man, this video is awesome. And do, could you do another one? Like going more into detail or, uh, do you think you will ever do like workshops or seminars or something like that? And that was cool. That was a little success. And, and, uh, I felt like I, I did something that is useful. And I watched it myself like four or five times just to you know, uh, get an idea of if I do a second video or if I ever do um, seminars, what should I talk about? So what's what are the important parts in that video? And what did I forget to talk about? It was basically the whole idea. And I think it turned out pretty okay.
0: Yeah, I thought it was great. And that was part of Normally, I like to go into some of the more technical things and why you choose a mic and whatnot, but you with the with the mother grid master class or uh, mother class as they call it, I didn't want to cover stuff that you'd already talked about. So hopefully this podcast was okay for you and and not too uh, boring or anything like that.
1: Absolutely not. This <laughs> was actually the first time talking like audio and touring for like an hour in the past. I don't know how many months, like seven months. Man, yeah, It's like forever.
0: I think it's the only way I keep my sanity is getting to talk to people like you, because it feels like we're still current and still, you know, a little bit normal, but uh, yeah, I can't wait for things to reopen and, and sort of get back to normal. Speaking of that real quickly, I guess that's a good way to sort of close up here. Are you seeing any hints at shows in Europe starting to resume or is everything still pretty much on, on lockdown from what you're seeing?
1: I don't know. Um, i think that we in germany at least i think we're doing with all the uh, numbers and infections and um, and uh, the, the and all that i'm not exactly sure what the latest numbers are in the us or netherlands or like worldwide because i kind of stopped uh, focusing on that i have to admit that i'm so annoyed by it nowadays because um Everybody talks about it like 24-7 and I cannot take it anymore. Um, that being said, um, I just got a couple uh, show dates and, and uh, periods of time or time frames for next year. And it looks pretty promising. And I'm actually happy that I can, you know, pretty much tour 10 months next year, but I'm not sure if it will happen. I think, at least in Germany, because all the numbers are going up now, it's like the second wave or whatever they call it, Um, let's see, I think, like, the autumn and winter will tell. Um, To be honest, I don't see, like, large festivals happening, like Rock and Ring, Wacken. And, you know, at least in the summer season, if those big festivals are not happening, it doesn't really make sense to tour Europe for a couple bands. Because usually, you know, traditionally, you would do festivals on the weekend and headline shows in between. If you don't have the big festivals and the big money, well, you know, you can probably not afford, or well, you can probably not afford touring in Europe then. And also, you know, for us Europeans in the US, I don't know, what, what do you think? What, what's the what's the latest in the US? Oh,
0: well, the US is a mess, uh, as is to be expected. You know, it's especially, I live in Wisconsin, which is upper Midwest, and we have some of the worst numbers right now because people just are, I think they're tired of COVID and they're tired of wearing masks and they don't see the numbers decreasing with people wearing masks. So a lot of people have taken the approach that they're just not going to wear a mask and, you know, whatever happens, happens. And I so strongly disagree with that because, you know, guys like you and me are deeply impacted by all of the COVID stuff. And, you know, the faster we can get, this resolved the faster we can get back to work and doing what we love so the U.S. is just a disaster and and I was looking at my phone I apologize because uh we also got a couple of show dates for next year and I was just looking to see if uh your your groups were on any of those bills yeah everything I'm seeing is pointing towards late next year coming back you know September time frame October time frame, so
1: that's what I'm thinking yeah, yeah. maybe uh, like the small and mid-sized festivals and maybe, you know, like the 5,000 capacity venues or something like this, but bigger than this. That's just me guessing. I mean, I have, you know, I'm not an expert and I, I can't, I mean, I can read all those numbers and I can, I think I can put them in context, and I think I can see where this is going, but I cannot predict what that actually means for our uh, industry. And I um, I have the same, I see the same thing happening, like back in March and April, when this whole thing started, basically every, to me at least, there was only two sides. Those guys that understood and they're like, oh shit, okay, I gotta wear a mask now and uh, I can't see my friends, family, I can not go to parties or bars or whatever. Uh, I'm fine with it, I understand. And the opposite, people saying, oh no, you know, this is just bullshit and I'm not going to wear my mask. And you know, this is freedom, blah, 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 blah. Now I think there's like a third side, so to speak, people saying, you know what? I've done this for like six months now. I don't see anything like positive happening. Uh, Fuck this. I'm not going to wear my mask anymore. And I personally think this is so much more dangerous and stupid, but you know, time will tell. I don't know. I'm like, to me, it's the easiest not to uh, think about it too much anymore, just do what I have to, you know. If my government tells me to wear a mask, I'm going to wear a mask. If they tell me to stay home and not to see my friends for another month, well, this is what I got to do. Not just because I want to go back to work, I think it's just my responsibility to do this. And um, Germany is doing pretty good. I mean, Germans are always like pretty, uh, you know, we, we listen to the government even though we hate them. <laughs> Um, which might be a little bit different in the US. Um, But yeah, I mean, I don't know. To me, it's just the easiest not to focus on it too much and just do my stuff that I enjoy. And uh, I I can't change it anyways. You know, God knows if I will be on tour in February or maybe it's May, maybe it's September. It's just what it is.
0: Yeah, when the call comes, we'll, we'll be excited and happy to get back out there. And I hope I get to see you at some point when we're out touring great to uh have a beer with you in person and and just uh say hi rather than via zoom absolutely real quickly are you doing anything fun audio wise in this downtime or are you pretty much just heads down making a living and uh keeping keeping at uh keeping your head above water
1: um i mean you know every now and then i try some stuff in pro tools and listen to some old sessions and you know uh, try some different plugins, or maybe a different plugin chain, or I try to you know stuff like this, but nothing like productive. No, nothing for uh, to make money or anything. I'm I'm not hired to make a record or anything. I hate it, but I enjoy it at the same time. The same with this whole touring situation. I've been hitting the road pretty hard in the past ten years. You know, going from In Flames to uh, Alter Bridge and back to In Flames and Toto totally in between and blah, blah 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 blah, which was great and I enjoyed it. But I was always, you know, missing out on stuff at home, um, friends' birthday or a wedding or stuff like this. And now it's kind of vice versa. Like, you know, I, I miss all my touring buddies, but I get to see all my friends. And I also get to take a deep breath and just, you know, I know it sounds stupid, but maybe you can relate and maybe people understand, but I enjoy being at home and not being on tour. And you know, not being on all those stupid metal festivals this summer. And I mean, I I love the metal festivals. The, you know, this is what I do. This is this is our passion, and and still is my passion, obviously. But I enjoy uh, not to do this for one year. And I enjoy to sleep in my own bed every night, and you know, get to spend time with my girlfriend, with my mom, and uh, if a friend gives me a phone call, it's like, hey, man, you know, we're gonna have a birthday party on Friday. Are you in? It's so. Uh, it's so cool to say yes and not, oh, no, sorry, I'm in, you know, Asia in two months or something. I really, really enjoy that. And, you know, I, I have a little, like, day job, so I still have some sort of income And I don't really have an issue right now. I still make money. I get to see my friends, even though it's, you know, restricted, and I can only see, like, four friends at a time. But... It's 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 a it's a blessing and a curse, maybe.
0: Yeah, I uh I love the positivity and looking at the bright side of the situation rather than dwelling on all the negatives. You find the positives and that's that's really fantastic. All right. We're just over an hour, so I say we call this a good show and we'll uh hopefully catch up in the near future. And Patty, it was a real pleasure having you on. I greatly appreciate it, and i I hope to see you soon.
1: Thank you very much, man.
0: And that's a wrap on this episode of Mix Masters. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please be sure to subscribe and then tell a friend. Or maybe leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I'd certainly appreciate it. I produce Mix Masters on the Allen & Heath DLive system with Shure Microphones and a little help from Apple's Logic Pro X and some Waves SoundGrid plugins. One more round of thanks to Merritt Goodwin for the music. And until next time, stay safe and healthy, and thanks again for listening.